We're going to continue our discussion from this morning. I'll start in a, in a humorous place, I guess. And that's with this uh, sad sack, Eeyore. Um, Eeyore just can't seem to figure out how things could ever be okay. And uh, something must have gone wrong at some point in his life, and he just never got over it. Things could be worse, but I'm not sure how. And um, as we continue diving into our Arise and Build lesson, I want to think about uh, this, this challenge where we can get stuck in negativity. So the short, short summary, Cliff Notes version of Nehemiah, just to get us back into it. The walls of Jerusalem were a pile of rubble for 142 years, and they were rebuilt in 52 days under Nehemiah's direction. These were walls with stones bigger than people, and this was not a crew of uh, professional builders that did it, but under Nehemiah's direction, with the Lord's help, they were able to accomplish this. However, as soon as Nehemiah introduced his building project, critics came out of the woodwork and started to challenge everything he did and oppose the Jews. And this is a pattern. This is, this is how things work. But we can get stuck. And I want to talk about this idea for a minute of a cynicism spiral. We can kind of just get stuck in a pattern, in a spiral of cynicism to where we, can't, we have a hard time really believing much is possible at all. And it's how we protect ourselves. In fact, you know, you might think the cynics are the people that don't care at all. A lot of times they're the people who care the most and don't want to get hurt again. So Michael Hyatt defined this, this cynicism spiral this way. He, he talks about this, this self-protective behavior that maybe there was a disappointment and that led to frustration and anger and, and sadness and ultimately this depression and this cynicism. It's never going to work. Nothing is going to going to be able to be accomplished is just forget the whole thing. And I think in its own way, there is an evangelism cynicism or this spiral of evangelism defeatism that we can get into. I've experienced this myself and I've talked to people. This might not be how it works for everybody, but it might start with fear. What's going to happen? How's it going to go? It might go badly. I might lose a friend. I might be rejected, I might be considered a crazy person, I might, you know, whatever. I'm going to get the answers wrong, and then that's going to be their only shot at ever being saved, and I'm going to flub it, and then I blew it, so it's better for me not to do anything, whatever it is. But fear then leads to timidity, leads to us being so careful, we don't know what to say, so we, we're not sure whether to say anything, and that leads to guilt, because we know better. And now this guilt is so in our head, too, that we're, con we're in this cons constant conflict. And maybe we just, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't want to think about it. Or maybe we deal with it in this abrupt way where, where we're this bag of emotions. And, but we know we're, we're going to do something. We're going to say it. But when we say it, we don't, we don't have a lot of grace or wisdom in the way we speak. We just jump on it because there's so much going on with us. And maybe that leads to rejection. 
And it feels like, at least to us, a perceived failure, which leads right back to fear of doing it all again. And, and we, could, we could make up 31 flavors of this, a lot of different ideas, but, but you can see how we can get stuck. And we're not going to get really deep in this, but I wanted to introduce the idea because we're talking tonight about obstacles. And our theme, of course, is sounding forth the word. We're encouraging all of us to get out and, and do the work. And, and hopefully we've already been doing it, and that's great. But to take new steps, bolder steps, keep going forward in our work of evangelism. And these are the kinds of things that can get stuck. There's a whole personal journey with evangelism in addition to the journey of interacting with someone and trying to bring them to Christ. So, hopefully you got one of these sheets. If not, this is these evangelism check-in sheets. If not, um, Landon has some. You can just raise your hand. There's some extras. Okay. So, Landon will be around with these. Um, and so, this has two purposes. We're going to go through it step-by-step step together. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, to, to fill it out. And one purpose is an introspective check with yourself as we get going, and we're going to be on a whole journey this year to, to become more effective and fruitful in evangelism. So this is a starting point for that for you. But the other purpose of it is for, uh, for me, especially me, but I'm, I'll, I'll share uh, some of this information with the elders, for us to develop lessons that are going to help you overcome some of the challenges that you are facing. So the first section, so I'm going to ask you, first of all, at the end of all of this, at the end of services, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to fold this up and drop it in the box in the back. And I'm going to collect those, and I'm going to put all of these answers together. Don't put your name on it. It's not about you. There are no wrong answers. Don't be intimidated by this. It's, it's for you to think about these things, and then for me to get a sense of where we are and how I can can build some lessons to really support us. So section one is, how are you doing at sounding forth the word? And first, it's just a one to five rating. How would you rate your current motivation to share the gospel? Your motivation. How do you feel like you're doing in, in um, just your, your drive, the reasons that you want to do it? Second, how would you rate your ability right now to share the gospel? Third, so one to five, Third, how do you think you're doing at praying for the lost in your life? For the, the people that you know that are lost and maybe people you don't know who are lost. This is just your personal rating. There is no absolute here. And then I wanted to give you a chance to think about what is your strong suit in evangelism? There's a lot of different ways to support evangelism, of course. And you might not be interacting yet with people and, and trying to bring them to conversion in a direct way. But maybe you've been doing a lot of other things. So I'm going to give you a minute to look at this as well as the first, uh, this whole first section. And think about it and check everything that applies. Okay, now on to section two. Where do you want to be 
at the end of the year in sounding forth the word. And I left these as blanks because I didn't want to fill it in too much for you. I want you to be able to create a picture. We're setting intentions. You know, before, before at the beginning of anything, you want to think about what do I want to accomplish? Give yourself a picture to pursue. I want to be able to blank. What do you want to be able to do? I want to be able to lead a Bible study. I want to be more comfortable asking questions that lead to a conversation. I want to be better at just inviting people or welcoming people. Or I want to know, I want to understand the gospel better. Whatever it is, I want to be able to do. What steps do you want to have taken? What do you want to have accomplished yourself? What do you want to have done and stepped out and, and taken some steps towards? And then describe any attitudes and habits that you want to have. I'll give you a minute to think about that. All right, I'm going to go through this third section now. And if you're still finishing up your answers to the last, that's okay. I just want to note each of these items. So what is holding you back? If there's anything that's holding you back, that's an obstacle, that's, that Satan is trying to leverage to keep you from, from uh, doing the work that you feel like you should be doing. Check everything that applies. The first is, don't think, I don't think of it. Often. I don't think, I don't have a high awareness of this whole issue. I just don't think about it. I don't think about sharing the gospel. I don't think about the need for it. I don't think about uh, taking any particular steps. It's just not in my, in my thinking very often. And maybe I need to grow in awareness. Second is, I don't think of the fate of the lost. In specifically, I don't have the, an eternal perspective very often where when I'm interacting with somebody at work or at school or wherever, I just don't think, this person doesn't seem to know the gospel at all, doesn't seem to know the Lord at all, and that means they're lost. And what does that really mean for them? Third, I don't fully believe the gospel is the only way they can be saved. You know, if I'm honest, I'm not sure that I have really come to terms in my faith with the fact that Jesus is the only way, and his plan that he has presented is the only way to live everlasting life or I don't know where to start you know I'm overwhelmed I'm unsure or I'm afraid to start because I don't know what will happen it's fear you know that's the scary thing about start, uh, the first step on anything is what's going to happen next we don't always know we can't control every outcome um, I've never been taught a strategy I don't know what steps should I be taking. I don't have any strategy for evangelism. Where would I even start? So I'm unequipped. I don't know what people need to know. I, like, I don't have a clear idea. I know, I know my Bible, but if I was going to start, what do people really need to know to be saved? What is the gospel at its, at its core? Or I'm too shy to talk to people about it. I just, I'm, I find myself being timid and it's just so far um, out of the range of what I consider my lane. 
I haven't figured out a strategy that feels right and fits me. It's not just that I haven't, maybe I've heard a strategy before, but it doesn't work for me. And I've got to find a way to tailor something that fits me and fits what I can do. I know I can do this work, but I have to figure out everybody does it differently. And what I've been taught doesn't, isn't tailored to make sense to me or work with my gifts. Or perhaps I don't have a strong enough commitment to others. Like just being honest, like maybe I need to grow in my love for others. Or honestly, I think I value my comfort zone too much to step out like this. And my commitment is just not at that point. Um, and I'm not saying these things to manipulate or anything, but emotionally, I'm just trying to give possible answers for you to think through. Maybe this is, this is where you're at. And that's something, it's just good to start by just being honest about here's where I am and I need to grow. I'm willing to grow on this, but I just am recognizing this is my issue. Or maybe there's something else. And then section four is just a blank. Again, I, I wanted to leave this open for you to think about what could help you in sounding forth the word? What, what could the church do? What could the elders do? What could your brothers do? What could I teach in sermons or classes? We're going to have a, a class uh, in, a, in a coming session on how to share the gospel. Next session, actually, in the auditorium. You know, what are some things you would really want to have instruction on? What are some things that you need encouragement on? Some tools that could help you, whatever it is. And then the last thing has nothing to do with information for me. The last thing is simply for you to start thinking, if you haven't already, and probably most of you have been tending a prayer list about this kind of thing for a long time, but start a list of three people you want to be saved that, as far as you know, are not. And of course, we want everybody to be saved, but there are people you've been probably thinking about that you know, this is mine to do. I need to bring the gospel to them. And I don't know where to start. I don't know. I'm going to need the Lord to open a way. And I'm going to be praying about it. And I'm going to be looking for the, the right lane to start. Let's start that list. Okay. And if you have any questions about any of this, you can ask me about it afterwards or, or something like that. But I really appreciate you going through that and thinking about it. And hopefully it's starting to prime us in this discussion as we think about getting started. And so... Uh, we talked this morning about this idea, let us arise and build. And that comes from Nehemiah 2.18. Uh, they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite uh, servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it. And if you read Nehemiah very much, those just, you start to not like those guys at all. <laughs> These are just the bad guys. They just, they're just really really nasty guys that just have uh, the, you'll probably be able to relate to the kinds of things they say because it has probably extinguished a fire in you at some point. I know I've, I can really relate. You know, you got something that you're, you're so committed to doing something good and then the sand ballots and Tobias of our life come in and just pour water all over it. And you're like, okay, I got to find a way to keep going on this and not let this burn me out. 
It says, they heard about it and they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Like you've got these big plans and they call it this thing. What is this thing? Arise and build this thing? And this is where a lot of meaningful undertakings in the kingdom just, just fizzle out. Opportunities abandoned, projects thwarted, non-Christians we reach out to and then we stop pursuing. Churches that get distracted from their most important work. And really, it leaves us asking, why does good work stop? What happens? Most of us have seen energetic workers get frustrated, burn out, or are just too busy with all the other stuff of life to keep it up. And we all know the kinds of discouragement and problems that just, you know, suck the life out, drain us, suck the life out of the good work. And what we're really asking is, what's really happening? Like, if we could pull back the curtain, what's really happening when critics plant doubts? What's really happening when brethren refuse to help? You know, and you just feel like it's, it's me alone, you know, like Elijah, or it's me and these other two people, or whatever it is. You know, what's really happening when people just want to fight? Nobody wants to work. Everybody just wants to argue about everything. What's really happening when distractions just seem to pull at us? Everybody's busy, of course. Everybody's got full lives. That's, that's okay. But we have to watch out that we don't have just thorns of perfectly acceptable things that choke out the most important things, right? And so we, we just have to be aware to keep the important stuff the important stuff in our lives. What's really happening when all of this is going on? What's really happening in that cynicism spiral? Who's behind all of this? As an old 1990s SNL sketch used to say, could it be Satan? Satan is standing behind all of these schemes, all of these problems. You know it because you know the schemes of the devil. We are not ignorant of his designs, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11. We know about him. The Lord has shown us what, what is behind all of this. Because we know that if the devil could neutralize one thing in the entire universe, what would it be? Us. The church. What is at the top of, you know, like when you go into the post office and you see the FBI's most wanted, what is at the top of hell's most wanted list? Fruitful Christians and faithful working churches. He already has everybody else. But this is what puts a kink in his plan. This is God's eternal purpose to save the world. Fruitful Christians and faithful working churches. Do you think that he's not going to try to sow division among us? Do you think he's not going to send critics, send problems, send obstacles? We're not going to have difficulty getting people to see the, the truth? This is, he's chasing after us. So we have to learn from Nehemiah and all the other stories and, and truths of Scripture. 
how to keep building when Satan tries to break us. Nehemiah and the Jews had enemies like Sanballat and Tobiah, but who was behind that? Satan was behind that too. They were doing a work for God. Satan is always the enemy of God. As we read in Revelation 12, 9, it is the great dragon, that ancient serpent called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And you'll bet he'll try these same schemes against us. And so these are, I'm just going to show you what happened with Nehemiah. These are kind of like Satan's greatest hits. And he's going to break them out again and again and again. And we're going to face them today. We might hear, what is this thing you're trying? Remember, that's what they said. What is this? What is this thing you're trying to do? Because, you know, it'll never work. And we tried it and it failed. You know, everything has been tried. Everything has been tried. I mean, we're not going to invent some, some new thing probably. But, of course, behind all of these things are the devil. And so we have to learn to keep believing when critics plant doubts. Right after our text that we started with this morning in Nehemiah 2, if you want, you can turn over here to Nehemiah 2. Right after that, you ever wish that you could have that perfect response whenever somebody is saying, you know, something nasty to you, and you want to be, you don't want to be mean, but like Jesus, you want to be sharp and clear and right in the way you say it, and you want to just get it, get it clear to them that they might not realize what they're doing, but here it is. Well, Nehemiah had that gift. I've never had that gift. And whenever he, he heard, what is this thing you were doing? In verse 19, are you rebelling against the king? Of course, the king is the one that sent him here. He says, verse 20, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we are his servants and we will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This doesn't have anything to do with you. All right. We've got a work to do. and We're going to do it. Because we're God's servants and he's going to give us success. He's going to get this job done. And we're going to do it. It's just so powerful. Our God will give us success. Those six incredible words are really the only answer we ever need to any critic. Our God will give us success. I don't know what the success will look like. But I know it's worth me continuing to do the work because it always accomplishes what God wants. The perseverance of the Jews and Sanballat uh, made these guys even angrier. And um, they say later on in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they finish it up in a day? You know, just diminishing it. Tobias says, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, it's going to fall down and break their stone wall. I mean, this can't even hold a little animal. This is nothing. And honestly, that kind of stuff hurts. Like, you can't just pretend it doesn't hurt. But you keep going. 
And this is how they, they responded. So in chapter 4, verse 2, is where it says, what are these feeble Jews doing? And in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, again, five words. So we built the wall. Like, we just did it. We did the work. And all the wall was joined together, for the people had a mind to work. A mind to work. Our work will stand or it'll fall first where their work stood or fall, fell in our mind. You know, you have to believe that what you're doing matters and that it can work. Because, I mean, in a way, we're fighting against all odds because there's, there's so much against us. But we have God on our side who does the impossible. And so you have to win this battle in your mind first. We have to have a mind to work. Do we believe and commit or do we shrink and doubt and say, what's the point? You know, do we Eeyore our way out of it? Ah, I'm sure it could be worse, but what's the point? So we have to keep moving forward. There's something, you may have heard this idea, the 80-20 the rule. The idea of this is that um, in any group, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And um, I've, I've seen that be true, and I've seen it not be true. Um, but what I see when I'm looking at the thing really doesn't matter. And this can be a very discouraging thought if you get too caught up in looking at it the wrong way. Um, if you think of yourself as one of the 20%, you might think, you know, I'm all alone. Again, that Elijah syndrome. There's nobody else. I'm all alone. Uh, nobody else cares. And so why is this fueling discouragement? Because Satan can leverage this idea. Satan can make you feel like other people don't care as much as you. He can sow discord by you looking at other people and judging them and then looking at yourself and lifting yourself up. And you don't know what anybody else is doing. You don't know. I don't know what anybody else is doing. And even if this is true, so what? You keep working. As, as Jesus said to, to John about, uh, or to Peter about John, if I want him to stay until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. That's your job. You keep going. Don't get stuck on that. And so we have to keep working, even if it looks to you like brethren aren't helping. This happened in Nehemiah chapter 3. There were a lot of workers that worked hard, but there were also some workers, some whole families, that just shirked away their job. In verse 5, we read, chapter 3, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Like serving the Lord is so beneath them. You know, they didn't want to serve. They would not stoop. Whether through disinterest or entitlement or laziness, their own nobles wouldn't work next to them. And, and I don't know how you would respond if your wealthy leaders wouldn't help. But notice their response. In chapter 3, verse 27, it says, After him, the Tekoites, 
repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. If they don't want to help, that's fine. We're going to actually take on other people's workload and we're just going to keep working and do extra. You know, I can choose to assume. Just, I mean, you, you believe the, what you want to believe. You know, I can choose to just see the best where I don't have any, any understanding of what someone else is doing. And I can choose to just recognize other people around me care. Other people are working. If there are important needs no one else is willing to fill, though, I got to be a Tekoite. I got to be ready to finish my section and go and find the next section. And that doesn't mean you're doing everything, but you're doing what you can. That's all the Lord wants. We just keep doing what we can. There is uh, something that, that the, the prophets talk about, the people of, uh, of old saying a lot. Uh, the false prophets would say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. People today might want peace at any price, you know, where we just, we just say, you know, yeah, we'll compromise everything we believe in just so that we don't have any division or any issues. Somebody else might say everything is worth taking your stand and, and being cantankerous fighting over. And every Bible class should be an argument about, nope, nope, that, what he said had something that I think that's quite a little bit incorrect, so I'm going to jump all over it. And, and you're just constantly looking for a fight. And who's behind peace at any price? The devil. And who's behind looking for a fight? The devil. And he'll take either one. He doesn't care. Either one is a win. We, because... Either one starts to diminish what the Lord's church is here to create. We find harmony and peace in the Lord. And so, you know, we won't run away whenever somebody is starting to oppose the Lord and oppose the truth. You know, they would work at night and they would hold a weapon in one hand and build with the other hand. Think about that. Like that slows your work down. But it could have stopped it. But they kept building. And if we're holding on to our weapons with both hands, we're in trouble. And if we're not alert to the dangers around us, we're in trouble. But we keep building. And we're aware the devil's out there. The devil's going to bring in difficulty in whatever way he can. And so we're going to watch and try to handle things prayerfully and wisely, honoring the Lord in everything we do. A couple years ago, I, I learned this concept of the messy middle. And the idea of the messy middle is you start a project, and at the beginning, there's all kinds of excitement. And when you get close to the end of a project, it's like, all right, home stretch. Let's get this thing done. And that's really exciting. But in between, it's like a slog. And there's all kinds of details and there's all kinds of distraction. And it's lost its joy and excitement from the beginning. And, and it's easy to get lost in a project in the messy middle of something, whatever it is. 
And, you know, the, the Jews are building these things and they could have been pulled away by all of these different distractions that came up. Uh, one writer called the messy middle a host of complications, shifting priorities, and challenges where work often falls apart. It's like when the, the non-Christian that you're, you're talking to starts to pull away and you're not sure if it's worth contacting them again. Or when you plan an activity to help a sister in Christ and then everyone involved just has other things that come up and they get pulled away by pressing demands and, you know, you just start to lose track of the thing you're trying to do. And as the walls near completion, these foreign leaders, all those bad guys I was talking about, invite Nehemiah to, to meet with them. And he says, and man, Adrian and I quote this all the time. Chapter 6, verse 3. Put this on something that you can remember it. Chapter 6, verse 3, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? There are troublemakers around, there's all these problems around, and maybe even distractions that can be perfectly acceptable things. But I got to remember, you got to remember, we are doing a great work. And your great work might be a little bit different than my great work, you know? I mean, we're all doing slightly different things, but we're all doing the same big project of building the body of Christ, you know? You're building by teaching your, your young kids about the Lord, or you're building by, um, by putting together a class curriculum, or you're building in, in some other way, and we're all doing these things that we... We know the Lord wants us to do to build his house. And we just have to keep remembering, I am doing a great work. I can't get mixed up in everything else. I can't come down. I got to stay focused on what matters. And so I got to keep believing when critics plant doubts. Keep working when brethren refuse to help. Keep courage when people just want to fight. And keep focused when distractions pull at us. And so this is, this is a commitment that, that I have, that we have. We're going to keep building when Satan tries to break us. And the, uh, the devil is, in a way, the main character of this story, I guess, of this lesson. Because I wanted everybody to be aware of, of what we're facing and the devil is a liar, and the devil is a destroyer. And if the devil is holding on to you, if the devil has a foothold in your life, he will do everything he can to destroy you, to destroy your relationships, to destroy your mind, your thinking, your purity, your love, and destroy your eternal life, your soul. Jesus considers the devil no challenge to defeat. If we hold on to Jesus, if we submit our lives to him, then we will win the victory.